Um, I made a statement, a very reckless statement, or promise to God a, a while ago. I said, because Bishop Breeze always says, I have excuses, I, I won't obey. And uh, it stuck in my mind, and Judson Cornwall said it to me many years ago, you'll will and deal to get your way and get out of it. And I said, all right, God, I'll do what you say. And when Bishop Reed said this, I just, my heart sank. I just thought, what excuse can I give this time? Where could I hide? What can I do? And this came back to me that I said to God, I would do what you said. But I can tell you it's not without a fight. <laughs> I did ask Andrew, please, would you not do it? Did God not speak to you last night and say... <laughs> you do this, Meadri isn't suited to do this. He said, no, God has been, um, it was silent. It's deafeningly silent. <laughs> so here I am to talk to you today about something which we all do, the excuses that we have, the hiding places that we have. And also to show you that really we have no hiding place because God has provided everything that we need. And uh, I know the bishop is very challenging on the um, Young Families Conference, particularly to the men. And um, I would say to you men, you know, I know that sometimes the women get out of line and you think the women are not what they should be. But it's so true what Bishop Reed says. A woman panics and so wants the husband to be the head of the home in the right way. And when a woman panics, she does all sorts of stupid things. But he is so right. Women look for that security and that direction that a man alone can set. And the reason that is so is because it's God's order. There is no other way around it. But I'd like to talk to you about the excuses we have about when God says, this is how I want it, this is what I want you to do, and how we try and get out of that. Now, you'll recognize some of these excuses. We come up with it's not possible. I can't obey what God says. It's too hard for me. I haven't been born again. I haven't had that electric shock that Bishop Reed talks about. So I can't do it. I can't help myself. Besides that, no one cares about me. No one knows the struggles I have. It's too difficult. I get offended. Nobody loves me. All the sort of hiding places that the, the heart can go into when God puts his finger on something. And I know because I know what my heart does. I know where it hides so as not to do what God says. Now, we all know that man through the fall, is the, our natures are fallen. And when we revolted against God, we did a proper job. We revolted against his sovereignty, his supremacy, his authority and his will. Man revolted against all of that. And you'll say to me, well, if man has fallen, what can man do? And let me say for you, to you from the outset, you can't change your nature. But is there anything you can do? What, is, what are we left with since the fall? And all the fall has left man with is we're ashamed. And when we're ashamed, we start blaming. We blame one another, we blame God, we blame Bishop Reed. We blame our husband, we blame our wife. That's what the fall has brought, shame, blame, and we get fearful. And that's the state of the human heart. But does that mean that man...
can't obey, that man can't make choices. Is the fallen nature, if the fallen nature is our heritage, can man use his will? What part does your will, what part does my will play in this? I'd like to look first of all in the old covenant. Now bear in mind we're in a better covenant. God's spirit dwells in us, that enables us. But in the old covenant, they didn't have what we had. And yet, they had choice. If you look at Joshua 24:14, bear in mind these are people under the old covenant. And we have a better covenant. Joshua 24, verse 14. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve you the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Well, you'd say it's a bit unfair. God knows man can't serve him. Why does he say it? But he said it. He said, choose you whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now therefore put away, said he, the strange gods which are among you and incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. And now look what the people said to him, verse 24. And the people said unto Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. And verse 31 tells us, And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, and which had known all the works of the Lord that he had done for Israel. So even under the old covenant, when they had to make a choice, a moral choice, who were they going to serve? They had the ability to say, we will serve, and serve they did, and for quite a period of time. I don't know if Dr. Hayden can tell us what period it is, but it's for some years that they kept on the straight and narrow during that time, under Joshua and under the judges. So there was choice. Man could choose who they served. Because man has a total inability for good, does not mean we have not got a free will. Did you hear that? Because we are not able to do good in the sense God wants us to do good, does not mean we don't have a free will. We still have a free will. If we ruled out free will, you would be like the beast of the field, wouldn't you? You would just give yourself to the excesses of sin in whatever way. We are moral beings we still have a free will, even though we can't change our nature. There are decisions we can make. Inability for good is one thing, but responsible agency is quite another. But here's one of our big hiding places. We know fallen man is dead in sin and trespasses. You're not subject to the law of God. You do not appreciate the things of the Spirit of God. We cannot please God because it says the natural mind is at enmity against God. And this has led to a doctrine which is known as the doctrine of inability. Now you all understand that word, inability. I am not able to do it. But we've taken that 
and we've hidden behind that and have made an error out of some of it, the doctrine of inability. Man has said, I can't do it, God hasn't moved on me. I'm not saved. I'm, I haven't had the born-again experience. I am unable to help myself, is where we're hiding. And what we end up with, we say, sorry, I can't help myself. And it was interesting, we had a meeting with the 1830s, I think it was, in Bishop Reed's home. And I'd say that a big percentage of them, when Bishop Reed said, do you feel you're born again, said no. And they felt that God had moved on them, but it hadn't lasted. They hadn't had, they were all looking for that great electric shock that they thought that would come. And Bishop Reed took them through it systematically, explaining to them what it really meant to be born again. But this is one of the heart's hiding places. Oh, I am, I'm not really touched like you are. I haven't got the same level of faith, so I can't do it. Now, even those that God has never moved on can choose. There's such a thing as called common grace. You know, God's good not just to you and I. God's good to everybody out there. They may not know it. And not everybody falls into the excesses. It says in Psalm 145, verse 9, The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. The eyes of all wait upon thee, and thou givest them their meat in due season. Thou openest thine hand, and satisfies the desire of every living thing. So even without God, there is a common grace that extends to mankind. And a man might fight with the things that rise up inside him that's wrong. But you know, men and women choose to live decently and to try and do that which is right. That is, that ability is there. God has never taken it away. We're not like beasts. That is known as common grace. But we have so much more than common grace. We have something called imparted grace. God has given to us so much more, we are without excuse. Let me tell you, if God has moved on you once, if he's touched your heart just once, you will never, never forget it. There is a deposit that will remain in there. What you do with it may not be so good. You may be careless, you may mess, you may not follow after, but you will never forget if God has ever touched you inside and shown his love to you. Even in the tiniest way, it will leave a deposit in your life. And I would like to look at that grace that God gives us. You may have a measure. You'll say, I have a small measure, but it'll be enough. God gives enough for every man, for every woman to do that which is right. And a lot of people that I talk to say to me, I'm sure God has never given me that. I'm sure he's never drawn me. I'm sure he's never really touched me. Um, I, I really am not sure. I don't feel much. I, I, I'm here. I want to be here, but I don't know why I'm here. Let me tell you, if you are here, it's because God has drawn you. Those that God hasn't drawn aren't here. You are here because God has got his hand on you. And if you say that you're in a turmoil inside, fantastic. 
It means God's spirit is moving in your life. People are frightened when God comes. People are frightened when the Holy Ghost begins to convict inside. People are frightened when the churning starts inside and we have God's finger touching things in our lives and we feel, oh, I, I, I've never been touched. That is God's touch in your life. That is the Holy Ghost moving in you. Don't quench that. Jonathan Edwards said a beautiful thing. He said, if you have the strivings of God's spirit... God has met you. And is there anybody here that can say tonight that they've never had God convict them in a meeting? Is there anybody here that feels God's word has never had any effect in their life, has never made you feel uncomfortable, has never made you feel loved at times? Anyone? I am sure all of you, at one time or another, God's Spirit has drawn you inside and has churned you up. And that is a precious thing. Edwards goes on to say, It is a precious opportunity, which if you knew the worth of it, you would esteem it as better than any temporal advantages. And I know a lot of you, since Bishop Reed has spoken, have not found it easy. You want to put your lives right. You want to put your families right. And there's been turmoil. Well, let me tell you what God says through this man. It is a precious opportunity, which if you knew the worth of it, you would esteem it better than any temporal advantages. When God convicts you, treasure it, because it means his spirit is working with your heart. Now, what is imparted grace? What do we receive? Can you turn to Ephesians 2, verse 8? You probably know that scripture by, by heart. This is the grace which God gives us. And I want you to bear in mind, under the old covenant, they could choose to obey God. They may not have changed their consciences. God has to change a man's nature, but they could obey God. What he said, they did. And even people under common grace can make some decent choices. How much more do we have? And how much more has God given us? It says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And Ephesians 1, verses 7 and 8. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. And I looked this up in one of the reference books. The Greek word means that God lavishly bestows on us all that we need. Lavishly. That means in abundance. Super generous God gives to us. And it's interesting, the rest, this Ephesians 1, 7 and 8, the actual Greek meaning is, the knowledge which he gives us there, it means... We see things as they really are. And he gives us discernment 
that leads to right action. Look at what he gives us. He gives you discernment that lead to right action in your life. Fathers, mothers, grannies, grandpas, God gives us discernment that leads to right action in our lives. What we have is the life of Christ inside. And if I can just convey that one thought to you, the grace which God gives us enables us to do what he says more than anybody. We have no excuse. We can do what God says. We can live right. We can alter our homes right. It's his life he, inside. He becomes your source and he becomes your sphere of blessing. Philippians 2.12 states, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It's God that works in you both to will and to do. God has imparted to you grace and he has imparted to you his life that enables you to live the right way. He's your source and a source means it's a place from which something comes and is obtained and God is your continuous source. Day and night he's there and he provides for you. Now a lot of people say to me why do I lack assurance? Why do I feel like I haven't got it? Why do I feel like I haven't been born? Why, why do I feel like I fall short, that I can't do this? And there are often very practical reasons why you've, that's so. One of the reasons is, as I've said to you before, people are expecting a thunderous conversion experience. And when they haven't had that, they say, it's, I haven't got the life. But when God touches you and something starts changing inside you, it's a change, it's a new nature that comes. Bishop Reed does not mean a literal electric shock. What he means, he said, was you know I was like this before, but now a different law has come inside. A different nature has come inside. Sometimes we're plain disobedient. So we say, well, I can't feel, I, I don't think God's done it. We're just disobedient. He tells us and we, we don't obey. And your disobedience eventually leads to bitterness because we've got to find something to blame when we're disobedient. We live carelessly. We don't treasure what we have. We don't treasure what God's given us. The other thing we have is we get diverted with the excess, excessive care for the things of this world. People have business problems, financial concerns, and the mind is off on that. And soon we forget the most important thing. And we feel, oh, God's nowhere there. Oh, God's there. God never leaves. It's just we get busy and involved with things that distract us. And we're negligent of the means that God has given us to keep this life flow. Jonathan Edwards stated, and I found this interesting, he said, to justify the neglect of means on the basis of our inability is to justify one sin on the basis of another. i read that again. To justify the neglect of the means God has given us on the basis of I can't 
is to justify one sin on the basis of another. And I'll just quickly look at the means God's given us, just three of them, and you have them all here. You have a man here that God has so undoubtedly called and anointed and empowered, and a man that preaches an uncompromising word. And that is rare to find. Let me tell you, I do travel about, that is rare to find, that combination. God has given you such good means whereby to keep yourselves. You have his word, but you know, we don't like that absolute truth that that word brings. It's that postmodernist thing like, it's, you mustn't judge, it's too harsh, how can I do that? You know, the shrug of the shoulder, it's not, it's not easy. We like to compromise on that word, and that's where we start getting into trouble. I can't do it, you don't understand, I can't put my family right. You know, I'll lose my children if I do that. I'll lose them if I stand up and, you know, I don't want to lose their friendship. Where does that come from? This is postmodernist thought all the way. I read to you what Dr. Trevor Grizzle said about God's word. We have to make the word the strategic command center of authority at which decisions are made, the unerring compass that guides us, the philosophical, moral, and spiritual fulcrum around which all of life revolves. Dr. Grizzle is an Englishman who teaches at ORU. We have to wake the word, the strategic command center of our life. Dr. Murray, John Murray, born in Scotland, said, our dependence on scripture is total. Without it, we are bereft from the counsel of God. And the counsel that we get is respecting all things necessary for man's salvation, faith, and life. Everything comes from this word. 2 Timothy 3.16, you all know that you don't need to turn. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for the instruction which is in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. And we, we like hearing the word. We like it when it's a doctrine we hear. We like it when it's an inspiration, and we like it when we're told how much God loves us, and it's all wonderful. But we don't like so much when there is a reproof in that word, and the heart starts shifting. It applies to someone else, not you. And I'm sure I'm not the only one that tries to do that in a meeting. We don't like that part. But that word is sharper than a two-edged sword, and it cuts, and it divides, but it brings health after it's done. And the man that God's given us, the pastor, the leader that oversees, you know how often we blame him if we don't like it. And things that I've heard said, which never fail to amaze me, people will say, oh, he's, he's a man, he makes mistakes. He's a sinner like we are. You don't, want to, you don't want to go too extreme. But I would remind you that God calls a man, God commissions him, and God empowers him. And at the end of the day, that man is responsible and has to answer for each one that sits here and has to hear that word. And we can thank God that we've had one that has never compromised with us and has never compromised the word. And the last thing we have is the body of Christ around us. And 
I suppose the older I get, the more I appreciate that. I think when you're young, you don't stop to think about the value of your brothers and sisters around you. You know, they're there for your encouragement. They edify you. We're built together. It's a living organism. And many times, some of you have spoken into my life. Many times. You may not even be aware of it. You've said something and I've thought, that's God speaking to me. Many, many times you have edified me. You're my safety, many times. Because your brother and your sister will say to you, this is right, no, don't go there. We don't like it, we don't like hearing from one another. But a body provides safety and protection and care for each one of us. God has given you that. Don't neglect the, the gathering of yourselves together, it says. It is so important that you are at services. I know sometimes we all have time when we can't be here, but it is so important. It is one of the means God has given to keep us safe. And if I could summarize and come back to what Bishop Reed said about fathers be the head of the home. We are without excuse, each one of us, and the fathers can do this. You can take your place. You can do it right. Because God has given you that which you need inside. You've not had common grace. All of you here have had grace imparted to you in one way or another by the living God. And that inside is that life that will keep you and you can do the right things because it's his strength inside and it's his power inside that will cause you to walk the right way. Can you just, I just want to finish with Ephesians 2. I just want you to read with me this verses 1 to 10 to remind you what God has given you. Ephesians 2. Look where you've come from, and don't you ever forget where you've come from. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. That part God does for you. You do not do that. God quickened you. God called you. God quickens you. God births you. You cannot change your nature. Where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. And that's the spirit we don't want working in us. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. That was our previous nature. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. And has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. 
It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. You and I have been ordained to walk the right way. We can do it. His grace is inside. His strength and his power is inside. We are without excuse. So fathers, mothers, we are without excuse. If people under the old covenant could say, we will serve the Lord, how much more can a man and a woman say under this covenant of grace, I will do what God says. I will do the right thing. I will put him first. I will obey his word. We can walk. We were ordained to walk and to have good works. Thank you. That's all I have.